Thank you, Pastor Senkun, for service leading, and uh, Anita and the team for song leading. A very good morning and a warm welcome to one and all. Kong si, kong si. Sing nian mong en. Sen ti jian kang. Tulu ping an. Xin xiang chen gong. So that's about it, my Mandarin. <laughs> but at least I got four, you know. Right. So thank you so much and welcome those who are here and also those who are tuning in from wherever you are, we're at home or even outside, right? So let us begin our time by me asking you a question. Now, if I'm to ask you in this day and age, how do people meet? Now, today being Valentine's Day, perhaps, how do people meet their significant other? And what will you say? So a quick survey, right? Let me do it. How many of you here says that it is done online? How many? None? Oh, that's very good. Very good. Okay. And uh, how many of you say it is through family? Thank you so much. Yes, a few hands that's raised. And uh, how about friends? Thank you so much. You can have two, three choices, right? And uh, how about hobbies? Hobbies. Uh, so, meaning you, you guys meet together from friends, through friends, through hobbies. And, okay, anyway. Now, a new survey about dating or a new survey about making friends from technology company Report Linker, a technology company showed that the internet or dating apps weren't at the top of the list when it comes to where people in relationship meet together. And so this is the survey that has been done. Please take note of the percentage. Next slide. Right? They meet one another through friends, 39%, which is quite high, actually. Right? Considering if you look at work, from at workplace, you only get 15%. And what about besides workplace, about places like Bars and other public places like beaches and parks is only 12%. Then, sports and religion and hobbies, they all lump together, only shows us 9%. It is really very dismal. Eh? And the internet and dating apps, only 8%. That is a, that's very good to hear. Family, unfortunately and sadly, falls on uh, 7%. And last but not least, the speed dating. What do you think? What's the percentage you give for speed dating? People who meet? Huh? Four. Well, very generous of you. It is only 1%. <laughs> so anyway, the school, the school 6% is just like Pastor Chris and Monala, right? Because they're from the same kampong. Then they studied in the same primary school and then go up to secondary school. This kind very rare and almost extinct now. Okay? Sorry. Mona is sitting there, her base. That's it, my uncle gone. Anyway, personally, personally, I would think that because of the Internet of Things and the convenience and comfort of it provides, many would take to the Internet, the, the, the social media to meet one another. So it seems the physical way of meeting is still preferred. And that tells us that friends 
are important. Phys meeting physical friends are important, especially so teenagers. I know that uh, friends rank higher than family. Isn't that so? Since the basic youth are serving us today. Uh, no worries. So do we find it heartening to note that the Internet of Things is not all there is to it in the area of physical meetups? Then more so, a Christian, how shall we meet one another as God's people? But before we come to that, allow me to briefly set us in the context of the book of Hebrews. And someone says that a picture paints a thousand words. Next slide. All right, you can see there, right? This is a broad overview of the book of Hebrews. You can generally uh, divide them into two halves. One house from chapter 1 to chapter 10, it will be more of instruction or teaching. And the second half, exhortation, which I'll say as living, right? From Hebrews 10, 19 to 39. And the second, the third row, I just want you to zoom in on that. Third row speaks about the superiority of the person of Christ the superiority of the priest, priesthood of Christ and the superiority of life in Christ. And this is where, and this is where we are. Where is that? Oh, no. Cannot, huh? Okay, this is where we are, all right? Superior life in Christ. Okay? Now, Briefly, in the essence and the structure of Hebrews, it teaches us that, the next slide comes on, that Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to the Mosaic law. Jesus is superior to earthly priests, to Melchizedek, and all in the hall of faith that we fondly and remember the chapter 11 of Hebrews. And for the benefit of us who are not in any Bible study groups in church, those who are new, we are doing a series of essential studies for faith and fidelity. And it looks like this. So this is what we use uh, the resource Back to Basics. There are seven lessons and uh, we are in session six, right? So we are in session six and how we are to live out as Christians taken from the book of Hebrews. And I hope this is clear for those who just joined us. Now, coming back to the book of Hebrews, the structure that we see just now as Jesus of Jesus being superior, there is also a warning against it. So the next slide comes on. Jesus being superior to the angels has a warning of what? Has a warning against giving up on Jesus. The second one, Jesus superior to the Mosaic law is a, second, a warning about losing rest. Jesus superior to the priest is a warning against apostasy. Jesus being the superior to Melchizedek is a warning of shrinking back. This is where we are today, my friends. Jesus being the superior founder and perfecter is a warning about giving and so it is with this in mind that the author of Hebrews writes to warn the Jewish Christians not to abandon, not to abandon living for Christ and revert to Judaism. 
It is to warn them not to give up on their faith and fidelity in Christ Jesus. And so today's text is to vaccinate us from spiritual deterioration to spiritual devotion. By what and by how? By let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, right? So the word let us is mentioned a total of 14 times in the book of Hebrews. Now to us, reading let us means nothing or perhaps we take for granted, we all understand. But in college, I learned that anything that is just repeated, even such things like let us, take note, take count. And 14 times being mentioned here in the Hebrews, book of Hebrews, if you have noticed, just these short passages this morning, it is mentioned four times. So it is significant for us to take note. And what does let us the statement means? It just means that it all involves everybody, or at least everyone who is a Jewish Christian when the book of Hebrews was written. It would be the same, yet of strong urging for all of us here, to do something because we share in the same faith in Jesus Christ. Far too often, we conveniently exclude ourselves from exercising our, our, what? our togetherness with the exception of the clergy, like the pastors or the elders or the deacons or even your DG leaders in our midst. Now, now that we understand that we are part of this gathering, not just gathering, but a family of God, the communion of saints, there's something that you and I and everyone here and at home within the family of God are to be mindful of. And that is what? We are to be mindful to consider. Now, the Greek word, katanoeo. Is there, is there one? Okay. So, katano, this is where, just now Pastor Sengkun said, a very short passage of two verses. This is where Greek helps me to expand the two verses instead of a five-minute sermon to a half-an-hour sermon. <laughs> anyway, the Greek word kataneo or consider literally means to put one's mind on something or someone and to consider carefully, pay attention. To this particular thing or someone. Meaning, we are to weigh someone with a view not of criticism, but of construct. And you know criticism tears down someone or somebody, but construct builds someone up and you excite them even of endeavours to others. Meaning to say, you are like a spark, right? It only takes a spark to get the fire burning. So you act as a spark in the hope that the other person who, whom you are being, whom being ministered to will likewise do it to others. And that includes making allowance, making allowance for imperfection of our brother or sister's circumstances. You must first begin to consider that. 
Often we don't. Often we don't. But just Tuesday this week, the staff organized a convoy of cars to send foodstuffs and fruits to the adopt adorned folks that we were involved earlier this year. Now, this thoughtful consideration was mooted by Pastor Lang Yong as our gesture in continuing to reach out to them. Now, also to appreciate their labours in nation building and care for their well-being, as many don't normally thought of to engage with our fellow guests, workers. And so Christians ought to have a tender consideration and concern for one another. Despite their backgrounds, and to affectionately consider even their wants, accept their weaknesses, and deal with their temptations. And you may ask, what is it for? Well, whether or not they reciprocate in action or otherwise, hopefully the small gesture would have them start to think of doing, doing the same to others and would these small gestures have an eternal impact, you ask, or you might ask? My answer to you is, if you don't do it, you'll never know. True? And so following what is to be considered carefully, paying attention, we are to then spur one another towards love and good deeds. So the church has... Um, has invested me to go to Bible college, and so now this is my investment paying back to you. So again, another Greek understanding of spur, paroxysm, it means to, it means to arouse, to excite, to call into action. It is like a booster jab, right? Given to someone so that the cells must respond to fight off the virus from spreading. Hey, Jason, can you please... Can you please jab the person beside you? He's sleeping, nodding off. <laughs> That's just an example. So imagine if you just jolt your neighbor with your elbow. What do you think would be the response? Definitely there's the one sitting beside you will wake up. So figuratively, it, it speaks of to awaken one or to awaken one's mind to action. But depending on context, it can have either a positive or a negative meaning. In a negative sense, spur refers to irritation, a sharp disagreement, an argument, or even a provocation. However, this is not, this is not to be here, as it refers to arouse, to awaken, one to activity by encouragement. Hence, has a more positive sense to it. So when I read this word, spur, some other version have stir, it reminds me that a real cowboy wears spurs on his boots, right? But do you know what its purpose? Well, I understand that the purpose is of directing a horse to move forward while riding. And so, it is to remind the Jewish Christians not to go back to the old ways, of doing and believing in the mosaic sacrifices and rituals, and understandably so, that when under persecution and suffering like them, 
we will naturally go back to our familiar yet fatal old habits, old friends, old places, old sin. And that's why the following words tells us that we only can do it together and never by ourselves. And how we may spur one another towards love and goodness to begin with, just now let us, and this is another let us language, a one another. It means that every believer sitting here, sitting at home, listening to this sermon, we can and should engage, exhort, admonish, or even rebuke each other so that we can press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus to do what? To fight the good fight of faith, to run the race with perseverance. That's what we are called to. And so one very heavy downpour Saturday about three, four weeks ago, I noticed that two of our youth leaders, Pastor Roger, take note. I noticed that two of our youth leaders, at different timing, they were leaving church, heavy downpour, and concerned that even with umbrella in hand, with a strong wind blowing, they will get wet. And I wanted to suggest that they stay at least until the rain subsided. And then I asked, hey, where are you going in this rain? It's not rain. Where are you going in this thunderstorm? And what both the young man and the young lady replied was really heartwarming in that they were going to fetch some of the youths who were late for their basic meeting. No. Some of the youths stuck at Botanic Gardens, MRT Station, or even at Adam Road Hawker Centre. They, they, they are going to fetch their basic youth to come to basic fellowship here in church. Don't you think that is commendable? Well done, basic youth leaders. You have outdone yourself. This is very good modelling of one anotherness, as the verse suggests here. Now, simply said, do you believe? Do you believe that we need each other to spur one another, not to go back to our past faith and habits, but to move on and forward in Christ, truly living Christ-like lives? Do you agree? Of course, we must. And according to the verse, what do we need each other for? It is to spur toward love and good deeds. So how do you understand love and good deeds? Easy lah, right? You just do long. Right, that is probably, that's how we commonly understand. We can understand it as love in action, which is entirely biblical and good. Because love and good deeds are two sides of the same coin. But this is only second level of understanding. See, the purest form of love in action is seen in God sacrificing His Son on the cross to the cruel cross that we may gain direct access to God. And this is what the immediate context of chapter 10 set us up to. So God's love evidently shows itself in love. 
So it is both emotion and action. Where love is an emotion, emotive language, and deeds is an active language. Now, only in understanding the basis would we not think it to be continuing of salvation by works. We are never saved by good works. Let me be clear about this, all right? Instead, by meeting together, loving one another, doing good things to one another, it is keeping your salvation, is keeping my salvation, is to remind you, is to remind myself, our salvation to be steadfast in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen, I say. Yeah. You all didn't get too much empower, or you give too much empower. <laughs> now, Lyman Stone, who is a research fellow at the Institute of Family Studies, in um, last year, 2020, March, he wrote this. The coronavirus leaves over 90% of its victims still breathing. But it leaves virtually every member of society afraid, anxious, isolated, alone, and wondering if anyone would notice if they are gone. So in an increasingly atomized society, the coronavirus could rapidly mutate into an epidemic of fear or despair. Church attendance serves as a societal roll call. In an in bereft of work, sorry, bereft of work, school, public gatherings, sports and hobbies, or even the outside world at all, we humans do poorly. Why? Why do you think we humans do poorly without relationship? Because we are created relational. True or not, Clement? Yeah? So we need the moral and mental support of communities to be the decent people we all aspire to be. And he continues to write, the Christian choice to defend the weekly gatherings at church is not a superstitious fancy. It is not as though that we are reckless. It is clear-eyed, rational choice to balance what? To balance trade-offs, to forego other activities and take great pains to be as clean as we can be in observing our social distancing and hygiene so that we can meaningfully gather to support each other. Now, without this moral support, he continues to write, as the citizens of Wuhan, China, can attest, remember this is written 2020 March, and perhaps soon the people of Italy, life can quickly become unendurable. Even non-Christians who eschew or avoid church-going can appreciate the importance of maintaining just one lifeline to a community of mutual care and support, unquote. So if this is true, and unless you think you can do without one another, why not we take turns to attend service? Now that it is open to 200, from 100 to 50, 200 to 150, and hopefully in the near future, 250. And given our conservative attendance pre-pandemic, 
which hovers around what? Hovers around 1,005 to 1,008. It will take a month or so for all of us to come around. See, many of you, I believe, have been encouraged by the services and sermons year in and year out. Allow me to be very open and honest with you that without you, we don't have a church or a family, a spiritual family to belong to. Now, you don't, you don't go swell-headed on that, right? Instead, you should be more humble. Imagine for a moment, we, the clergy, the leaders of the church, the DG leaders, Imagine for a moment we labor hard and come the weekend services and plan church activities only to find that we are the only ones in the pastoral team and leaders left to face one another. Like as though the seven days a week not enough, no? <laughs> no, actually we love one another. It would be a sad day if it ever this happens. You know why? Because as many churches have been left wanting or congregations left ignorant. Left wanting and ignorant of what? Left wanting and ignorant of the salvational value of meeting together. Pastors and leaders also are human like you. Maybe I should speak for myself. And yes, we are at the forefront of serving you, yet needing also mutual encouragement to keep our love and good deeds alive. Wouldn't that be a great way to show love and good deeds, beginning with this God-given family here in ARPC? You know what would be a lie? It would be a lie if you sit there, whether it's here or at home and listening in and out, year in, year out, and say that you love everyone, but actually you love no one. I stole this phrase from Pastor Chris, who stole it from someone else. <laughs> I guess there's nothing new under the sun, right? But more seriously, isn't this statement true? If you say you love everyone, but you love no one, isn't this statement true? True that it is a lie? How can you say that you love everyone and you love no one? Someone said, a very wise Christian man said, that warm fellowship of the church will keep your heart, my heart, from growing cold. And that's what we must seriously consider. And we are to consider not giving up meeting together. Next slide. So, this is a story that I've taken from our daily bread, right? When I was young, I was, I was reading daily bread a lot. And it is said of this pastor who noticed, who noticed and is concerned about a particular member whom he has not seen attending services. So after a few weeks, <clears throat> the pastor decided to visit this member. And so <clears throat> he went to the, the member's place, house, he knocks his and then the, the, he opened up the door. You know how, how, how they are, you know, you, the door is open, you can just make yourself at home. 
And the pastor, when he went in, he saw a man sitting all alone by himself in front of a fireplace. And the minister, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> the pastor pulled up a chair and sat, sat next to him. And after his initial greetings, there was just silence. So both of them just sat there, staring at the flickering of the flames in the fireplace. For those who live in cold country, you may, you may appreciate fireplace, right? So anyway, and as they watch and watch and watch, before long, the pastor took a tong, took a piece of amber, and put it in front of the fireplace, right? And so, because it's a fresh amber, the embers is still glowing, you know. Have you ever stared into glowing amber? No? Very nice, you know. You know what I mean? It can mesmerize you, you know. So, and then, slowly but surely, the amber gotten cold and, and died somehow, right? And because it was time for the pastor to leave, what he did before he left was that he took the amber, the cold amber, and put it back into the fire. Now, what do you think happened next? It fired up again. Looks like you stay in cold country before you, you know. Immediately, it began to glow again with the light of warm of burning coals around it. And as the pastor rise, rose to leave, the member stood with him and shook his hand. And then with a big smile on his face, which is not evident during the first time, he thanked the pastor and said this, Thanks for the sermon, Pastor. I see you in church on Sunday. Do you all get it? Alama, I should have just used that illustration and we'll be done with the sermon today. <laughs> Only takes, what, less than five minutes, right? Oh, man, uh, you cannot with agreements anymore. Huh? But I thought it's so heartwarming to hear this. Without each other, we will be like the amber. We will turn cold. We will turn cold towards God first and we will turn cold towards one another. Whether it's within marriage, whether it's between parents and children, whether it's between friends, whether it's between colleagues, among Christians. I'm not talking even non-Christians here. So we hope to see most, if not all, of you and family here and at home listening in to come around as a good, and might I say, godly habit of encouraging one another. And also of the day of the Lord approaches, right? So the day that is approaches, the, the day approaches or the day drawing near, as some version has it, has this idea that it is to be a continual thing. It is not to be a one-off gather together and to be picked up one event later, which is Easter, which is very fast approaching, and waiting for the next one, the year and Christmas. Now, for the Jewish Christians, the mention of the day of the Lord's return is to strengthen their faith to hang on hanging on each other as the day approaches. For them, it could be possibly be, it could be possibly be the destruction of the temple in AD 70. 
because the book of Hebrews is written before the destruction of the temple. But for us here, it's the same. We are to continue because the day approaches. The day is near. We are to continue to hang on, hanging on each other. And you may ask, how long? How long, you ask me? The word of God from within Hebrews itself reminds us that today, that means today, this Sunday, this very moment at 9.55, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. I find this a timely reminder that today may be my last. I see you or you see me. For we don't know what's going to happen next, even as I speak. Is that possible? I remember the lyric of a country song. Now, well, some folks say that anyone who listens to country song, it, it just reveals your age. But I don't care. I don't mind. Because I would like to think that I'm of vintage pedigree. <laughs> anyway, the lyrics goes like, Live life like you were dying, like tomorrow was a gift and you have got eternity to think about. Now, would that hold some truth to us because of the fragility of life? So we are to hang on, hanging on each other. What? When? How long? Every day. Because today is certain and all that we have. Isn't it sobering? I'm sure it is. So what has these two verses taught us? Basically, we can put it into three categories, and that is the big group. What one commentator calls as the foundational assembly of a local body of believers meeting together regularly for fellowship around the word and worship of God. So meeting always must be around the word and the worship of God. And guess, this is how it looks here, right? The weekly church service, the weekly discipleship group, if you are already in that discipleship group, and I strongly, those who have not had a discipleship, do come along with us to grow and mature. And we have our monthly, even church prayer fellowship. And what about the regular church fellowship, like the men's conference which we just had recently, the culinary arts as well, uh, previous one week or two weeks ago. And uh, next up will be the marriage preparation, the marriage and enrichment, and so on and so forth, which you can find it if you were to download the e-bulletin and if you have the copy of the handbook. And also serving in ministries, because serving in ministries, mainly they are weekly uh, occurrence because it just coincide with the ministries that's happening in church. First, we are called to gather together regularly for encouragement and accountability. We must not forsake this aspect of the Christian life, my dear friends. Next up will be small group. So the other form that Christian fellowship can take is that of spiritual friendships. Friendships that transcends the borders and the boundaries of individual local churches. And most Christian gatherings on the first century were in houses church, in house churches, which existed in a network reaching throughout, right? 
a given city. So therefore, we may find meaningful fellowship with like-minded believers outside of our immediate church group, Bible study fellowships, accountability groups, and also social times over coffee and tea should be encouraged. As long as that like-minded people, we are in the same line, doctrinally speaking, and that we do not detract one another's commitment to our local church. And such groups can be wonderfully enriching and supporting for the Christ follower. These relationships can enhance our sense of community with the broader body of Christ as we seek to live each day in light of the great day of Christ's return. And third, well, instead of one-to-one, -one, it could be include everybody, one-to-one, -one, or even big group and small group. They help keep our sight far. Far meaning they help keep our sight in our faith and fidelity to God and to one another. To also be accountable and to affirm one another. And also to be responsible and rational. And so today, in conclusion, <clears throat> today is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is a celebration of love, of friendship, and admiration. Now, it is said that there are many stories about Saint, Saint Valentine to what he did. And over time, these stories grew into the legend we know today. But if I were to ask you, do you know the original and truer version of Valentine? And the slide comes up. If there is a slide, no slide. Oh, dear. All right. Imagine with me, right? There is a Valentine word, straight down, V-A-L-E-N-T-I-N-E. -E. All right, imagine with me. Now I need you to, to participate with me, right? Valentine, straight up, right? And then, remember this verse. Oh, this is covered by the screen. John 3, 16. If only I have your handful numbers, I will text them to you. John 3.16, and so it lines up so nicely. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to what? He, to, to die for us so that we may not perish. And it adds up the words. If only there is a picture and the picture paints a thousand words, you write you imagine straight down the word Valentine and you start to fill in, right? John 3.16 across each letter. And, and you know John 3.16 is about, is about Christ giving up his life. That, my friend, is the true... Ah, thank you so much. You see that? Thank God. <laughs> right? Do, do you see that? Right? So... For God so loved the world that he gave his one begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. This, my friend, is a truer version of Valentine. And whoever's, since it's a truer version, we are, if we are celebrating Valentine and whoever's New Year birthday and so on, we remember 
because Jesus Christ is the superior person. So you and I must give careful thought to one another by jolting each other to love in action for faith and fidelity in Jesus Christ. So would you be a valentine to one another? Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for the reminders that we need each other in our walk of faith. You know best what we need, and we need each other more than we care to admit to remind us of your goodness and grace. May we hold fast our faith and not make anything and everything to be bigger than you. Also, to have full assurance of faith of the truth of Christ's superiority, that we approach God in faith to humbly confess and to find ways to encourage each other. God help us in Christ. Amen.